Today, I'm gonna to be starting a sermon series called After the Cross. Last week, we had Easter. Anyone eat too much chocolate last week? Too many eggs? Too many eggs? I had maybe a few more eggs. Yeah, some of you did this. And the reason why you waved like that is because, yeah, I had too much, and I still feel it even today, right? And last week, you ate so much chocolate, but we celebrated the cross of Christ last week. We were ta- celebrating the Easter. But what I wanna do is I want to talk about this whole month about what happened after the cross, because the cross is such a significant part of our faith. And as I looked into what happened right after the cross, I realized how weird stuff got right after the cross. And so today I wanna talk about stranger things of the cross. And we're gonna be reading from Matthew chapter 27, verse 45 to 54. Here we go. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. Now, just to put it in context, this is the moment when Jesus is hanging on the cross and he is about to die. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, ah, He's calling for Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now, why wine vinegar? Because it's a very analgesic type of drink where it can, it can help you to numb your pain from the inside. The rest said, the rest of them said this, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. That basically means he died. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. All right, I don't know how many of you use this scripture to read to your children as they're going to bed because it seems like a really weird scripture, really odd things going on. This is truly Stranger Things. Has anyone been watching that series Stranger Things on Netflix? Isn't it awesome? It's really just the 80s music that that I like personally, but it reminds me of how old I am and how much I still like 80s music. But it was a stranger time. It was stranger things that were going on. And as we read this scripture, there are four stranger things that were going on in this scripture. I'm gonna just look at them one by one here. The first one was this. The sun went out for three hours. Verse verse 45, it says, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. For three hours, it was completely black and dark. How strange was this? You remember last year when we had the, 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 the lunar eclipse or the solar eclipse, whichever one it was, the moon went in front of the sun and it blocked the light coming to the earth. And, uh, and it really in Florida, we only had like a partial eclipse, but it felt like you were in soup. It was like really weird because it was light, and yet it was kind of this dull darkness that was going on, and people are flocking to the middle of America to be right in the line of the shadow, and when it happened, they all screamed and they went nuts, and how exciting it was. That was only for seven to 10 minutes. This is something that happened for three hours, And you can imagine how much maybe people were freaking out about this. But what we know is this, that every person in the area knew that something significant had happened. 
So much so that the centurion that was tasked with overseeing the crucifixion that was about to happen, he went, oh my gosh, this probably was God. He was freaked out. Now, this guy wasn't some, you know, easygoing or, or, or easily moved emotional type of fellow. This is probably a battle-hardened type of guy who has seen and murdered many people. And even he was deeply moved by what happened during those three hours. And the, the sun went dark, and it went completely dark in the area. You can imagine what people must have felt. The second stranger thing that, that happened was the temple curtain was ripped in two. Verse 51, it says, at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, from top to bottom. Now, this wasn't any old uh, curtain. This wasn't your Ikea curtain, you know, the nice little curtains that you get, and you have to hem them up, and, and it's nice and gray, and it goes really nice with all your furniture, right? It's not like an Ikea curtain. It's like, oh, look, it torn in two. No, this curtain was 80 foot tall. Wow. Now, think about it. The size of our building right here is about 25 foot Multiply that by three, and that's the height of the curtain. It was 20 foot wide, 80 foot tall, and about uh, four inches thick, which is about the thickness of your, of your, of your fist. This is, this is how thick this curtain was. It was a massive curtain, and it got torn in two, and, and it's not something that could have been easily done by someone who just went and tore it, and maybe some kid came along, found a thread, and then pulled it. It's not like that happened. This is something that was significant. But why was it so significant to the Jews? It's simply because of this. The curtain was in the temple that separated the one area in the temple that no one was allowed to go to except the high priest. Why? Because God was considered to inhabit that one place. And every year what happened was the high priest would take a small lamb and he would go into the inner, inner sanctum, the, the holy of holies, and he would sacrifice that lamb to God in order to be able to ask for forgiveness for the sins of the whole nation, for the sins of the whole nation. And so what happened was they would only be allowed to go in there once a year, and it was considered so dangerous that they would tie a rope around his leg so that when he went in, if he actually came too close to God, he would actually die, and they would have to drag him out. You can imagine some of them going, okay, you're on the job of pulling the rope if something happens. We'll give him 30 minutes, right? 30 minutes. 30 minutes come, and you're like, he's not out yet. He's not out yet. Well, let's give him five. Hey, Tommy, you're right in there. Tom. I don't hear him. Do you hear him? Well, give him five more minutes. Five more minutes come, and then you have to pull him out. This is how serious this was. This is how scary this was. And suddenly, this curtain that separated God, this four-inch veil that separated the world from God, you were able to come this close but no further, suddenly it was torn in two. Why? Simply because we as Christians believe that Jesus became that final sacrifice. <clears throat> he became the final Passover lamb that was able to bring us into the Holy of Holies and we have the freedom to come close to God. Now that might mean nothing to most of us guys because you know we're not Jews and we don't live in the temple or anything like that. But think of it like this. Think of it like in the sense of the American flag that flies above the White House suddenly combusted into flames and all the news stations were like going, what does this mean? What does this mean? It just turned into flames. What does this mean? It seems like such a serious and a significant thing that it not only affects the, the temple, but it affects who we believe we are. The third stranger thing that happened was this. An earthquake happened and it split the rocks. 
Now, where Jesus was killed on, on, on uh, Golgotha, it's like a rock, a rocky outcrop, and they used to do it on top of that rocky outcrop so all of the city could see who got killed and why they shouldn't want to try and fight against the Roman Empire. So they did it like as a warning to try and ward people away uh, 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 from, from insurrections. And so they would put the cross up there. And if you look at the, the picture of Golgotha, the, the, the stone is very horizontal. The strata is all horizontal, but it has these huge gashes down the side of it, which tells us that an earthquake must have happened at that time. An earthquake must have happened at that time. Okay, so the fourth stranger thing that happened at that time, and this is where we get really weird, and this is the part that I really want to get into because I like weird stuff, right? Here's the fourth thing. The fourth thing was dead people came out of their graves. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life, They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Now, how many of you have read that type of thing and just went, oh, okay, and then you just kind of skipped on? But when you read it, you're like, wait, wait a second. This is weirder than a movie script to the... The TV show, Stranger Things, right? This is weirder than the movie script from most of the movies we've ever seen. How weird is this? And they're saying that this is real, that this actually happened. Let me look at the timeline of what happened with these, these uh, uh, earthquakes because there was a timeline to all the resurrections that happened. And according to the scripture, there was actually two earthquakes. There was an earthquake when he died and then there was an earthquake when he rose from the dead. Let's look at the first one. The first earthquake actually happened on Wednesday evening. Now, I know as Christians, we celebrate Good Friday and then, and then we celebrate the resurrection on Sunday, but the way the Jewish calendar actually works, it would have been on a Wednesday because their day doesn't happen until the evening. When the sun goes down, that's when the next day actually begins. Okay, so the first earthquake happened on uh, a Wednesday afternoon or Wednesday evening when it went dark and it exposed all the corpses at 3 p.m. Now, I don't know what you're like, but the average person would be freaked out by an earthquake. Now, I want to, what I want to do is I want to show you what this earthquake did and how it had an effect on the city there. So this is the Kidron Valley. This is where the, most of the parts of, of Israel are right here. The, 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 the temple is not in that picture right there, but the temple is here. So you see the term, Temple Mount right in the distance right over there. That's the temple right there. That's where the Holy of Holies were. But right here is the grave sites. Now, you know that Jesus was, was put into a grave, uh, into a tomb that was hewn into a rock, and then he was slid into the rock, and then a stone was rolled over the front of it. The average person was put in a very shallow grave. And it's not the type of grave where we can dig it six foot down and we can drop them all the way down. No, the rock is too, is too thick there that they just have to kind of make a very shallow grave and then they build up a tomb over the top of them and then they put a lid right bang on top of that. Now, when the earthquake happened, the lids shook off the top of those tombs. Look how many tombs there are today. There is no more room. It's one of the most expensive parts of Israel today. There is no more room to put dead bodies there. It's packed with people. It's absolutely packed with tombs. And it says when this earthquake happened, when he died on the cross happened, the tomb uh, covers and lids rattled and shook off the top. Okay, so this was during the cross, during the first earthquake. 
The second part that happened was from Wednesday to Saturday, all the tombs lay open. So the, the, the lids had rattled off and all the tombs are sitting right there and, 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 and all the dead bodies are still alive. Now, I don't know what you're like, but when I smell something that I don't really like, you start getting the dry heaves, am I right? Yeah, anyone with me? No? You just go, like that, right? So imagine when you're, you, you open up a tin of tuna that's just been really bad, like that, right? And you're like, oh, Crystal, what? you can't, I can't, I remember when I first had a baby and he was trying to change the diaper and you're like, don't breathe through the nose, don't breathe through the nose. And then it goes in through the nose and you smell the diaper and you're like, like that. And the problem is there's other people in the other room going, what's happening? Uh, what's happening in there? And you start getting a watery mouth and watery eyes. Am I right right now? When you hear, so, uh, when you hear someone else trying to throw up, you start getting affected. By, uh, right? Imagine the entire city was this way. The entire city with these dead bodies just stench coming out of the tombs. And everyone, you could just imagine getting up in the morning, you know, like, Crystal, would you like me to make you some coffee? Oh, oh my gosh, what is that smell? Oh, my gosh. The tombs, the tombs are wide open. Oh, oh, my gosh. And then you hear your neighbor doing it, and everyone's doing it, and everyone's walking around for three days going, Ugh. What a weird time. Why did they leave them wide open? Why didn't someone go up there and slide the lids back on top? Is it simply because they were lazy because they didn't have a time? I'll tell you why. Because it was Passover. And Passover was the time when they took that one little lamb, took it into the Holy of Holies, and they sacrificed it on behalf of everyone's sins. And nobody wanted to be caught being connected to the dead. Nobody wanted to be caught becoming unclean because as soon as you touch a dead body, you become unclean. I've just been forgiven of my sins. Why would I go do that? I'm gonna make sure that I observe the Passover. So all these dead bodies lay wide open to the open space for three days. The third part of this resurrection timeline was the second earthquake that happened. And it says that when the second earthquake happened, all the saints who were holy raised from the dead and walked into town. Is this insane to anybody else? What on earth is going on? I can't imagine if my dad died about 15 years ago. I can't imagine if he walked in the room right now. You know, if he walked in the room right now, we'd all like to think that we would do the slow run to go hug the person, you know, and you go, Faja. And you come in and you hug them very gently because you finally haven't seen them. You haven't seen them for 15 years and you finally see them. No, I would say, Father, did you bring some underwear? Because I think I need a change right now, right? It would freak me out. It'd be something that would be really weird. And yet we have no response to this. When we're reading this type of thing, we should have a deep, visceral, emotional response to this because if this is true back then, then it's true for our futures too. If Jesus raised from the dead, raised those that were already dead from the dead, then we believe that someday we're gonna be raised from the dead. But it's not something that necessarily stirs us or moves us. And I started thinking about this. What does this mean to us? And as I was looking at this whole process of people being dead and then being raised from the dead, I started to compare this to our Christian walk. And there are, there are three sections or three stages, I believe, to our Christian walk, and we have to go through every one of them. The first stage is the stage of awakening, the stage of awakening. What is that? 
The stage of awakening is when we learn about the cross. We accept the cross. You see, the fact is, you can't be a Christian unless you subscribe to the cross. The cross is central to everything we believe. It is the only thing that matters in our life. The cross is the only thing that makes Christ Christ to us. Now, if Jesus didn't die on the cross, he's still Christ, but he is not anything to us other than our judge. But because of what he's done on the cross, it makes everything come alive and it becomes to the point where we are now free from our past. When you, when you accept the cross, you're accepting the fact that your past is entirely gone. You're accepting that you're completely forgiven for everything you have done and everything you will do. You're accepting that the lid of death is now removed from your life. When you become a Christian, that's what you sign up for. This is what we call the revelation of the cross. The problem I sometimes think is, as Christians, we often add one of two things to it. We can't entirely accept the cross. We have to say, yes, it's the cross and my good deeds. If I can add some goodness to what Christ has done, then somehow I will make myself worthy of God. And we think that if we do good, enough good things in our lives, then we will be ready and acceptable to God. But the Bible doesn't say that. It says by Christ alone, by what the cross has done alone is what makes us acceptable to God. When I was about five or six years old, uh, growing up in Dundee, um, I used to uh, I lived in a little house, and, and just around the corner there was an old man called Macintosh Patrick that turns out to be one of the most famous painters in, uh, in Scotland in history. And he used to do lots of beautiful paintings, etc. But when I was a kid, I didn't really know uh, who he was. All I knew that that was Macintosh Patrick. And I used to go down to the common area where he would walk his dog, and I would go play with his dog, and then he would take me home. And it's all right, my parents knew him. This wasn't creepy or anything like that. So I would go over to his house. And I remember going upstairs in his house, and there was a room where he did all his painting. And where he did his painting, he had this really famous painting of the queen that was half done. Now, I didn't know it was the queen at the time. I just thought it was some old lady that liked to wear some, some, something you know, bright and shiny on her head. And, and, uh, and it was this, this, a painting of the queen. It's a very famous painting today. And I can imagine that Macintosh Patrick came up to me and said, hey, Peter, I have made one of the best paintings. That I've, it's the, my best work that I've ever done. And I would like to give it to you as a gift. This is free and clear. It's all yours this is the best that I've got to give to you. And I'm like, oh, thanks, Mr. Patrick, that's awesome. And then I put it on a pedestal and I look at it and go, you know what this needs? It needs one more stroke of paint. And then I get the paintbrush and I go, bink, and I put a little tiny paint on there and I'm like, now it's done, now it's finished. That would be an insult to the painter. Imagine what our good works are to God if we think that we are earning our way to our relationship with the Father. The other side of this is, that, is, is people who often can think that if I take on enough punishment in my life, then somehow I will have paid for my sins and the things that I've done. There are many things that you've done in your life, and you can sometimes think that, well, maybe, maybe, maybe God's punishing me because of all these things that I've done, and if he's punishing me, then I'm just going to have to carry this burden because, because I've done a lot of bad things, and, and the reason why I'm not prosperous, the reason why I'm not blessed is because I've done so many bad things, and God is punishing me. That is bad thinking. It's wrong thinking. In fact, there's a strain even of the Catholic Church and 
please forgive me. I, I've got so many good Catholic friends and I love the Catholic Church as well. We are brothers and, Christers, uh, bro- brothers and sisters in Christ with them. But there is a strain of the Catholic Church that believes in purgatory, which basically means that when you die, if you haven't done enough good in your life, that you go to this place to work off your sins so that you can get yourself to heaven. I don't subscribe to that because I can't see it in the Bible. I think it's very superstitious. I mean, even the great psalmist Stevie Wonder said, superstition ain't the way, right? It's just, it's just, I don't believe it. I believe that the cross is the way. I believe there's only one way to the Father, and that is through the Christ. The good news is this, that God has removed the lid that has, that has been put on us. He's even removed the, and tied the hands that would try to put death back onto us. In Romans 8, 38, it says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord that was done and shown through the cross. Only the cross can do it. And that's one of the things we have to understand, that part of your faith must be a revelation of the cross. If you don't have that revelation, you don't get Jesus. If you don't have that revelation, you can't have Jesus. You can't live a good Christian life and not submit entirely to the cross. The second stage that I see, if the first one was the earthquake of the lid being removed, the second stage was when they lay in the ground for three days. I think of this as the stage of awaiting. The first one was the stage of awakening. This is the stage of awaiting. This is when we learn to expect We learn to expect good things in our lives. You can imagine when they were lying in the grave, they were looking up to heaven. They had their eyes on heaven. They were looking towards the sky of what is God going to do next? You see, the thing that what happens with expectation is that expectation should begin to change your life from the inside to the outside. It's a bit like a woman that gets pregnant. When she gets pregnant, she gets that little stick that tells her blue or red or whatever. It's like, I'm pregnant, right? And everyone goes, hey, something has birthed inside of you. Something has activated inside of you, and it starts to affect the rest of your body. It changes the way that she walks. It changes the way that she even talks. It changes her body. It changes her actions. It changes her taste buds. It changes what she craves in life. life. The priority of things that were important to her entirely change when you become pregnant. This is a picture of what happens with Christians. When you become a Christian, your walk changes, your choices changes, your priorities change, your your cravings, your desires all change, and it starts from the inside and comes out of us and goes into the outside. The problem with this whole stage of awaiting is I believe it gets us to the place where our faith can start to wane, because waiting often creates a waning in our faith, because we don't see the results that we're looking for. But you see, awaiting is something that is demanding that we have to train our eyes and our heart towards faith. We have to train our eyes on on when you're going through a difficult time or you're going through a hard time, God is putting you in a position where he is training you to look towards him and not to yourself. It's very easy that if you come from a background of addictions or old ways and then you find Christ, you find the cross of Christ, you suddenly realize what has been done for you and you're like, I'm gonna follow Christ because he has saved me and then you come across another problem in your life. Do you go back to the cross or do you go back to your old ways? 
The fact is, many people believe that when you come to Christ, all your problems disappear. When you come to Christ, all your problems come to the surface. You start having enemies in your life. You see, God is refining us and preparing us on this earth for eternity. And it'd be easy for us to go, you know what, I wanna throw it in. I've got a very good friend that I miss him. And I, and I knew him for years and I mentored him for years and he got radically saved. His life got changed and you could see the revelation of who God was changed his life. He found a father through Jesus Christ. He found a brother in Jesus Christ. And his life started to change, but there was one thing he could never give up, and that was fighting his wife. And every time I asked him, like, dude, you just have to die to this thing. Stop demanding that she becomes something that she maybe can't become. Just die to it and just give up all your arguments. And he refused to give up his old ways when it came to his marriage. And it got to the point where I think he got sick and tired of it, and he decided to leave his faith. He decided to walk away, at least from the church. He decided to walk away from his marriage. And today, he's not living a blessed life. He's not living a Christian life because he got sick and tired of waiting for the blessing to come into his family. Listen, I believe that that's the reason why God wants us to wait because it's you that has to die. And you think about it, why didn't God just skip over this whole section? Why didn't he just go, die on the cross, let's go straight to resurrection, and boom, comes up from the grave. Why don't, we just, why don't we skip this whole section of refining our faith and go straight to heaven? I'll tell you why. Because dying on a cross was hard for Christ and being resurrected was something that was easy for him. He could do it because he had the keys of the kingdom, right? But there's only one thing he can't do and that is change your will. There's only one thing that Christ cannot do and that is force you to love him. If he could, then you wouldn't have a free will. Free will is one of the tenets of, our, of Americanism, isn't it? That we, we should have the right to be able to choose. And God has given us free will, which is what makes us different from the animals. We get to choose what's right and wrong. We get to choose to love Christ. And so he is not gonna skip over the part where your faith has to be refined, where you choose to love him and you're not forced to love him just because you have so many good things. Here's the good news. The good news is this, that God, I believe, is preparing a testimony within you. James 1.12 says this, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Can I hear an amen? amen? That is good news. Here's the third stage. The third stage is this, it's the stage of arising. The stage of arising. This stage is when we come alive. When what Christ has done suddenly makes us change from the inside to the outside and we come alive. The problem with it is this, is that it's an event that happens today and in the future. Now, oftentimes when we want to come to Christ, we, we want to get the benefits now. I wanna be healed in my body. I wanna be healed in my mind. I wanna be healed in my spirit. I wanna be healed of many things. And we want those things in our lives today. And guess what, sometimes it does happen. Why doesn't it always happen? Not got a clue. I know that God is good, for sure, and I know he knows what he's doing, but I don't know why he does things in a certain way. The fact is, even if you got healed in your body, just like those, those uh, dead people raised from the grave when Jesus was resurrected, when they came into town, they started walking into town, they were still all gonna have to die again. They were still all gonna have to die and go, to, and go into the next life. 
The fact is, even if you get healed in your body, you're still gonna have to go through death in order to get your new body, unless Jesus decides to come now. But I do believe that God can give us healing in our life today. He can give us healing and restoration in our marriages, in our, in our relationships with other people. If I didn't believe that, I wouldn't, have a, I wouldn't have a reason to keep believing that God is good. But here's the thing, it's a future thing mostly for us. Now, if you are still in the first stage and you're looking for a revelation of the cross, I want to encourage you to keep reaching out. Maybe it'll take more than a day. Maybe it'll take more than a year. Maybe it'll take some time for you to start to accept what Jesus has done for you. But if you're trapped in the area of waiting and your faith starts to wane, then you start to lose hope of what God has for you in the future. But here's what I do know. The good news is this, that in Jesus, as Ephesians 1.13 says, in Jesus, you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Verse 14, who is the guarantee of our, what does that word say? What does it say? Inheritance until we acquire possession of it. The fact is, it's something that is great that is still to come. We don't have the fulfillment or the fullness of it yet. We may be getting tastes of it in our restoration of our, of our families or our marriage. Maybe we get a taste of it in healing. Maybe we get a taste of it in many different ways. But the time is now to refine our faith. We're in the middle stage, the stage of awaiting. We're awaiting for the fulfillment of what Jesus has done. We're waiting him to be revealed to us, to, to take his place over all creation, to end time and to judge us all. We're awaiting for that day. If we're still in that waiting stage, I want to encourage you to gird up your faith, trust in God, believe in it, change your eyes, look towards heaven, and change your heart, soften your heart to say, God, help me to have more trust and belief in you. Why is this so important? I'll tell you why. Because you're never gonna walk back to town and tell other people about Christ if it hasn't happened in you first. You're never gonna fulfill what God has called you for and why he keeps you on this earth. And it's simply this, in order that you might become who you're meant to become and you might pass the message on. Because there are many people who have never had the, the, the revelation of the cross yet. There are so many people who don't know about the life of Christ. And it's our job in this lifetime, in the short lifetime that we have, to do our work now as he is doing a work inside of us to perfect us and strengthen our faith, we do a work outside of us to intercede for other people's lives. This is our job. And someday when you see how glorious and wonderful what God has for you through Jesus Christ, you're gonna wish you had gone back and could have done it all over again. I don't wanna be that person. I don't wanna look back on my life and wish I'd said something, wish I had done something more, wish I had tried my best. The only thing worse than waiting is wishing you had. Let me say it again. The only one thing that is worse than waiting is wishing you had. I want to encourage you to gird up your faith, to keep the faith during the waiting period before Christ comes back. Mm -hmm.